0: In light of the Lord's Supper and in light of the last sermon that that I preached uh, to you two weeks ago, which was, you, you might remember, Joseph in the New Testament at the end of Matthew 21, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, please. We last looked at the end of chapter 21, which is probably an echo of the story of Joseph. Let me ask you to find Matthew 22, 1 through 14 for today. title this morning is The Royal Wedding parable of the wedding banquet. The royal wedding, the parable of the wedding banquet. Let's look at the scripture beginning in verse one. Would you look with me beginning in verse one of Matthew chapter 22. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse five, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This is meek and mild Jesus telling the story. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, I said we're going through verse 14, but let's pause there and let's pray. Would you join me in prayer? Father, truly, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, and now we come to you in prayer, not just to do it before the sermon, but to seek you, our Father, and we pause as we have already done in prayer before you, our great God and King, and again, we're mindful of our brothers and sisters around the world, and we pray that you would give and grant perseverance to what we call the persecuted or we might call it the suffering church have mercy O lord bring about justice and since we also know that it is part of your gracious and good purpose that your people would suffer lord we again we pray for endurance with joy because we know that the book of hebrews tells us that he that he for the sake of our salvation endured the cross not not merely a gritting the teeth but with joy who for the joy set before him, help us. May we see Jesus this morning. May we see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Let me give you one verse as we begin here. One sentence from the Bible. And it says this, it says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That is from Revelation 19.7. Revelation 19.7. Let me ask you a question this morning. How is your wedding etiquette? How's your wedding etiquette? Specifically, how's your wedding etiquette as it pertains to attire, uh, to the dress code for weddings? Well, Emily Post tells us this. People see weddings as an opportunity to dress up and look their very best. Guests' clothing should be appropriate to an occasion that is, at its heart, a serious ceremony. And also, often one that takes place in a house of worship, as well as a time of celebration. How is your uh, etiquette when it pertains to the attire at weddings? Emily Post says the wedding invitation and the time of the wedding will be your best guide to its formality. How do I dress? Have you heard uh, the phrases black tie optional? You heard that phrase or black tie or none of the above? Here is a breakdown of what kind of attire is expected for men and women for, and there's three categories. There's formal, there's semi-formal and informal, okay? Okay. So let's just take a formal wedding in the evening. Formal in the evening as opposed to formal daytime. Women depending on local customs ladies should wear long evening dress or a dressy cocktail dress. We're going to experiment and try this next Sunday. And uh, and gloves are optional, okay? So that's formal in the evening, women. Long evening dress or dressy cocktail dress, gloves optional. How about the men? Tuxedo, which is required if it says black tie. If it says black tie, tuxedo is required. Or, if not, a dark suit. So there's formal, at the end there's informal, and in between there's semi-formal. Semi-formal, let's do semi-formal daytime. So Think of a Saturday afternoon wedding semi-formal women dressy afternoon dress suit or pantsuit there's jokes that go around these days about the old pantsuit but that's what it is men dark suit or blazer with gray flannels and a tie you get the idea there is uh it's a serious ceremony as emily post says it's serious it may be held in a church which adds an element to it of course Depending on local customs, but well, what about if it's in the evening or it's the afternoon? What, what, uh, what does the invitation say? That's that matters, right? You want to honor, honor the hosts. Look with me at our passage today. We're looking at Matthew twenty-two, one through fourteen. We're saying that the title is a royal wedding, the parable of the wedding banquet, and I want you to notice the end of chapter twenty-one. Look at the end of chapter 21. Specifically, look with me at verse 42. Verse 42 of chapter 21, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes as he quotes there from Psalm 118. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you And given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. That's Matthew chapter 21, verses 42 through 45. and, And that's really the end of that parable. That parable was this, if I could very briefly remind you. That parable was, there was an owner of a house who planted a vineyard, okay? So a man planted a vineyard, and he spared no expense, he dug a wine press, he built a tower, uh, and then he went away to another country, and he leased out his vineyard to tenants or to farmers. Now, when the time for fruit came, he sent some of his servants to gather the fruit at harvest time from his vineyard. He sent his servants, but the tenants, or the farmers, they mistreated his servants, even killing them. So in the parable that Jesus tells, the the master, the owner of the house, the man who planted the vineyard, sent more servants, and they did the same thing to the more servants. They mistreated them, and they killed him. And so what did the master of the house do? He said, I will do this, I will send my son For they will respect my son I will send my son, they will respect my son And that's what he did He sent his son And the tenants, the farmers Saw the son coming from a distance And what did they say? They said, this is the heir They got excited They got excited in a sinister way In an evil way They said, this is the heir Come, let us kill him And we will have the inheritance And folks, that's what they did They threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, in our passage today, beginning in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, it says this, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. So make sure that we get the context here. You see that in verse 1? What type of literature is this? Verses 1 through 14. Well, we're told, right, it's a parable. And what does it mean when he says he spoke to them? Who's the them? Well, particularly what it means in the context, context is king, is he speaking to the religious leaders of Israel, to the Jewish religious leaders. And don't forget, who's speaking this parable? It is the Lord Jesus. Let's ask some questions of this story this morning. Let's ask some questions. First of all, what is today's story? What is the story? Second question that we'll ask, what's the main point of today's story? And then third, and all this, as you can see, is very simple. What are some lessons that we can learn from this story? What is the story? What's the main point of this story, the parable of the banquet? And what are some lessons that we can learn from this story? One time, uh, There were some people who were invited to a wedding. You remember what we talked about already with Emily Post. Of course, uh, these days, sometimes etiquette is seen as a passe thing. It doesn't matter. That's old-fashioned. One time, there were some people who were invited to a wedding that was black tie optional. You remember that? Black tie optional is you can wear a tuxedo. You don't have to, right? It, It wasn't even black tie, and this was a wedding where the hosts Were very generous and good people But they also Meant what they said when they put on the invitation Black tie optional Not to be mean of course they were, they were the gracious ones These hosts They were the gracious They were the ones paying for those in attendance To have a really nice time And they actually Wanted it to be somewhat formal Well a group of Younger folks showed up together at this wedding And it was pretty obvious that they had either not read or forgot Or completely disregarded the instructions on the invitation Which again were black tie optional Ah, they won't mind Etiquette's not cool We live in looser days One of them in this group of young people Who had in fact been invited to the wedding One of them wore his favorite tank top It became clear, by the way, through various means that, in fact, they knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, It wasn't uh, an accident or an honest mistake. No, it was clear that they knew precisely how they were dressing to this wedding. Another one in the group thought it would be neat to wear jeans and and a jersey. I mean, hey, it was Saturday. It was college football Saturday. Show support for the team, right? It was a motley crew. They were funny guys there was a girl in there, too. Well, the father of the bride in this story did not appreciate this. And he had some, uh, we'll say, burly nephews. And so he got his burly nephews, and his instructions to them were to restrict access to this small group of fun-loving young people. He told his burly nephews to restrict access to them to the ceremony. And not only that, he had them escorted off of his estate. It was his estate where he was hosting the wedding for his daughter. He had this group escorted off of the estate. He had the, he had the estate gates locked. There was no opportunity whatsoever for reentry. Friends, in the story that we read today, it's actually the third parable that Jesus tells in quick succession, bam, bam, bam. And this time, it's not a man who plants a vineyard. No, listen to me. In Matthew chapter 22, in this time, it's a king. It's a king who has a son, but if you've paid attention and if we would notice in this story today, boy, it's all about the king. All of the action, all of the protagonist, all of the main character who's, who's responsible for all of the action is king well let me just tell you very quickly this king is throwing a banquet he's throwing a wedding feast for his son over and over and over again you see about the wedding and the wedding feast and the wedding feast the king is throwing a wedding feast for his son and so he sends out his servants to call those who were invited it's time and those who were invited to the wedding feast they all refuse and so he sends out more servants and he tells those who were invited, come. Uh, I've spared, listen, I've spared no expense. Uh, the, the oxen, the fattened cattle is slaughtered. He was a man of means. Everything has been prepared. Everything is ready. There's, there's prime rib, there's filet. There's, there's, everything's ready, come. And some of them replied with indifference. And they went to their farm or to their business. And others didn't reply with indifference. They replied with mistreating the servants. They mistreated the messengers. Do you see? And they killed them. And what did the king do? The king sent his troops to destroy them and their city. And he said to his servants, he said to his servants, those who were invited, the A-list, those who were invited were what? They were not worthy what I want you to do here, I want you to go into the streets and I want you to to find who you can and I want you to invite them. The banquet, the wedding feast is ready. I want, listen, I want my wedding hall filled. And so go into the streets and gather people and bring them to my wedding feast. Now look with me, look at verse 11. This we have not yet read. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Okay, so where are we? Where are we? Those first invited, right, refused to come and even mistreated the messengers. And so the king destroyed them. And so there were others. There were the nobodies who were invited and they did come. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. So we've just finished my point number one. What is today's story? That's question number one. Answered, at least hopefully somewhat satisfactorily. Number two, number two, what is the main point of this story? What is the main point of today's story? And hint, hint, we've just read it. Look again at verse number one, please. Matthew 22, verse 1. Notice the word of God. Notice the parable of Jesus. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. You might remember, friends, this is the last earthly week of Jesus' life. Jesus will very shortly be put to death on the cross by these people to whom he's speaking. Okay? This is still... Tuesday of Holy Week. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again he sent other servants saying tell those who are invited see i have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Verse eight, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. We read at the end of verse 10, the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 14 again, verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. What's the main point of today's story? There it is, verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we're moving right along. Question number one, what is today's story? Number two, what is the main point of today's story? You know it now, right? It's verse 14. Number three, what are some lessons for us from this story As we see Jesus as the number one lesson. Oh, what a shame it would be. What a shame it would be to receive this parable here today as given from the mouth of Jesus. What a shame it would be to receive this parable from the very lips of Jesus who is about to lay down his life for sinners like you and me, who is telling this parable to answer the question, Where do you think you get this authority? And the very people to whom he speaks will be absolutely a part of those who crucify him on what we call Good Friday. And friends, it it was indeed, as I think back to even a, a Pastor James sermon, it was a Good Friday. Never man, never man feared death like this man. He bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners. And this is shortly before this. This is shortly before he would die on the cross. And so again, I say question number three is, what are some lessons that we can learn from this parable as we see Jesus as the number one lesson? Well, first of all, let's just make sure we've got our bearings. Uh, Let's just not assume anything here. Parables are awesome. They can be a little bit tricky. So what, what is Jesus, what's going on here? What is this about? Well, let's just identify uh, who represents whom. All right, so look at it with me. Look at verse twenty-two or verse one and two of chapter twenty-two. Jesus spoke to them in parables. Verse two: The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. All right, you don't answer out loud, but Jesus is telling this parable. Who is who does he intend when he talks about the son? Well. We don't have to be in Sunday school. and We don't have to be seven to say Jesus, right? Talking about Jesus, all right? This is gonna help us. When he talks about the son, he's talking about King Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, before that, before that, who's the main protagonist in this story? Who, in other words, who is the king? Who is the king in this story? Well, that would be God, right? That would be God the father. You get it? Oh, these stories are Great. The king is God, the son is Jesus. What about the wedding feast? What about the wedding feast? Well, ultimately, ultimately here, listen to Revelation 19.9. Revelation 19.9 has this phrase called the marriage supper of the lamb. That's why I think it's appropriate that we think about this this morning. This is important. This is important and this is a pointer. This is not an end in and of itself, praise God. This is for the people of God But this is a pointer The best is yet to come Because King Jesus is yet to come So again What I want to say is number one The king is God the father Number two the son is God the son Jesus And number three we're talking about What's the wedding feast Revelation 19.9 the marriage supper of the lamb So ultimately Ultimately it's the messianic banquet Okay The marriage feast here get this Is the Messianic banquet. It's been described like this, a celebration centered on the Messiah. A celebration centered on Messiah Jesus, which the prophets, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself, and later the apostles talked about. Okay, Jesus is not just telling this story in a vacuum. This makes sense. It makes sense in the context of the whole Bible. This Messianic banquet, do you see? All right, we're doing good. We're doing good. We've got God as the king. Jesus as the son. The uh, wedding feast is the messianic banquet. What about the king's servants? Do you remember this story? Uh, do you remember? Uh, we're, it's ready. It's ready. Go, go tell those who were invited. Not go tell everybody first. No, no, no. Go tell what? Only those who were invited. You get it? Oh, go tell them. And, and what do they do? They refuse to come. And so the servants, the servants... Are to go out again and say, hey, it's ready. Think about the, think about the patience of the king, right? Do you see? Think about, he's, he's not saying, it's ready. He's saying, it's ready. I've, I've made all the preparations. Let me explain to you. Let me explain to you. It's ready, so come. The servants say, the messengers say. Who are they? Who are the king's servants? Well, O'Donnell is so helpful here. He says, they are those who offered the gospel invitation. Those who offered the gospel invitation, Old Testament prophets. Specifically, here, here, apostles and those who were the first team of ministers after the apostles. Specifically, here, the apostles and those who immediately followed them, those who brought the message of the gospel in all of the Bible, but at the time of Jesus and his apostles, particularly. What about those who were invited? Who were those who were invited? God is the king. The son is Jesus. The wedding feast is the messianic banquet. The servants are the gospel preachers. What about those who were invited? Well, in verses one through seven, it's Israel. You with me? Look up here. In verses one through seven, it's Israel, specifically the leaders of Israel, But it's Israel. It's Israel. So what's the story? So what's the story? The story is God graciously and patiently lays out the red carpet and extends an invitation throughout all of biblical history to the great messianic banquet of the marriage of his son to his people, which we know today is the church. And he extends his invitation, not first to everybody, but to the A-list or whatever, to Israel. And they refuse to come. The majority of them refuse to come. If this sounds familiar to the end parable of Matthew chapter 21, that's because it is. Well, this is debated. This is debated. But in verse 7, who are the troops? This is debated. Some would say it's the Roman army under Titus. What do you mean? Remember what happens in the story? The king, the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the servants or those who were invited, those who were invited to the feast reject the servants and they even kill them. And so what does he, he, he kills them. He destroys their city. And so we don't know for sure. This very much speaks to us about the end time when God's judgment the the good news of the gospel also teaches us that God's judgment will fall on those who unbelieve. If you don't believe this morning, God's judgment is upon you now. The wrath of God is upon you now, and His wrath of, and His wrath will come at the end. But there's also like probably a small picture of His judgment that some believe in AD seventy with the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, you could say verse seven: Who are the troops? Well, it's the Roman army under Titus. If that's true. If verse 7, if it's the Roman army under Titus in AD 70, it does not in any way make it less God's troops. Who are the troops? They're God's troops. Wait a minute. Like God's troops, God using uh, an unbelieving people to come against his people? Not the first time that's happened in the Bible because God is sovereign. He's the king in this story. He's the one who takes all the actions, right? Right? He's the one who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He's the one who chose the invitee list. He's the one who sent his servants. He's the one who also destroyed the city of those who committed high treason. And if it's true that in the Old Testament, Babylon or a pagan people, maybe AD 70, comes against God's people, then God is no less in control of that than He is of electing His people to salvation. He's overall. He's overall. Well, let me give you some lessons that I draw from this pretty quickly. And I hope these are not just lessons that I draw from this. I hope that you will test and see these. We re- folks, we really mean that. It's. I want to be faithful to the word. Does the scripture bear this out? Hold us accountable as elders. What are some lessons from this story? As hopefully we see who, who represents whom, what's this story about? God's just patient with his people, Israel, and they, by and large, by and large, refuse to come to the Messianic banquet, and he judges them. He, he will judge he will judge everyone who remains in obstinate unbelief. Whether that's obstinate church-going unbelief or just some obvious pagan lifestyle, doesn't matter. His judgment is coming. His people are safe in the ark of Jesus. Let us beware. Let us beware of being like Israel. And refusing the king's call and invitation, which is, listen to me, the greatest and the most culpable insult ever. Let us beware of being like Israel and refusing the king's call and invitation, which would be and which is the greatest and the most culpable insult of all ever. God will not look upon that kindly. Why? Because his son is the apple of his eye. Because this story is told by Jesus and it's about Jesus, who is on his way to the cross. And as the story goes, the king is it's, he's he's so happy. He's not at first, he's not at first turned away by those who refuse to come. The apple of his eye is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, it's the messianic banquet. Friends, the gospel, Ephesians 5, is about Christ and the church. It's about God and his people. The good news of the gospel, before it's about your testimony, if you have a testimony of conversion to Jesus Christ like Thomas this morning, then praise the Lord. Before it's about your testimony or mine, it is about Christ and the church. He laid down his life for his people. He bled and died with intentionality for his own. Husbands are called to wash their wives in the water of the word only secondarily because Jesus has washed his bride on the cross with his blood. He laid down his life for his people. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high. He is coming again. For you, if you have repented, if you will repent of your sins and believe in the gospel, let us not. Do you know that the Bible itself says, listen to this, the Bible says that the Bible was written for Christians so that we would learn by example from three-fourths or four-fifths of the Bible from Israel so that we would not fall into their same bad example. The Bible says, don't forget to learn from the Bible. The Bible says, oh, all of the word of God is for you and is profitable. Let us beware of being like Israel, refusing the king's call and invitation. The greatest and most culpable insult of all. Another lesson, let us see that we make disciples and not mere converts. Listen to me. Let us see that we make disciples and not mere converts. Let us consider the lesson of the wedding garments. All right. Now, verses 1 through 10 is one thing, okay? But then you get 11 through 14. Now, it all goes together. And if you divide them in two, there are similarities, great similarities in both. But what's this? What's this beginning in verse 11? Look at it again. Let's consider the lesson of the wedding garment. But when the king, verse 11, came in to look at the guests... And let me just pause and remind you that at this time the wedding hall is filled not with those who were originally invited, but as has been said, we might say with the, with the hillbillies who said, Yeah. Yeah, I'll come, I'll come to a feast. I mean, you come into my you come into my gravel driveway to invite me to uh, to the king's wedding feast. Yeah surely there's a guy at the door inviting us to the king's wedding feast yeah we'll come the wedding hall is filled the important city dwellers have refused verse 11 when the king came in to look at the guests he saw there a man who had no wedding garment I mean this story already had one dark turn why does it have to have another one Verse 12, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And we might, friends today, we might be tempted to read this and say, well, you know, what's the big deal? This is uh, this is high-handed. He knew what he was doing. Even though he wasn't an original invitee, nevertheless, he was invited and he was told this is black-tie option.'" and he was speechless. Verse 13, then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. What in the world? What is this wedding garment? What is this when the king begins to walk among his banquet hall, which is full, and he sees this man who does not have on the appropriate attire, and he says, friend, why? Well, I mean, for one thing, if it's high-handed, as you say, John, If it's high-handed and the guy knew what he was doing, and yes, that's what I'm saying, well, then why does he call him friend? Well, he's not calling him friend because everything is okay. How'd you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. He had no answer to give. He was ultimately gonna be cast into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is to say there would be remorse. Why did I do that? Why was I so foolish? Why didn't I listen? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was, at the time of being asked, he was speechless. I have no answer to give you. There's a time coming, my friend. There is a time coming where you and I individually will be called to account. You and I individually. Where's your wedding garment? Why? How are you in here? It must be the case that some people can, in a sense, in a sense, get in, but they cannot stay in, and they certainly will not stay in for the best part. Do you hear me? It must be the case that there will be some who will absolutely not be there for the best part. They will not stay at all, even though they have seemingly entered. What? What? Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I say, let us consider the lesson of the wedding garment. Let us see that we make disciples and not mere converts. What's the wedding garment? Nobody agrees 100%. Some have strong opinions. What's the wedding garment? Let me give you four quick options. You could look at Galatians 3.27, don't look now, and you could say the wedding garment represents baptism. Or you could look at St. Augustine, and you could say the wedding garment represents love. I'm helped by O'Donnell here. So Galatians 3.27, maybe the wedding garment represents baptism. This guy had not been baptized. Or love Or number three This is the most common I think this is super interesting Symbolizes good works Listen to Revelation 19 Listen to this I'd really love for you to look at it with me If you don't mind really quick Revelation 19, 7 and 8 Okay, one option is baptism One option is love one option is good works. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Ding, ding, ding. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, well, because the king's sovereign. <laughs> it was granted to her, granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, that seems like a wedding garment, does it not? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. As sure as the day is long and as sure as last Sunday was Reformation Sunday, and Pastor Ray, I heard Lettuce in Martin Luther's song, you cannot be made right with God by anything that you do. You cannot. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone who has true faith in Jesus Christ, that faith is a faith that's alive and it works because you're united to Jesus Christ and he's alive. And if you're united to the risen one, then you also have been raised with Christ and your faith is not a dead faith. It's a living and active and what? It's a working faith. So I think, isn't that a good, isn't that a strong option? If it's not baptism or love, is it not a strong option that this is not cut against the gospel at all. You say, well, isn't the gospel that we believe that is faith alone? Yes, and the faith alone is never alone, right? Faith works. Scripture is a one unified voice. So that's where many people fall down on that, and I think it's beautiful. And there's a fourth option. Martin Luther said the wedding garment is faith which many will lack at judgment day. Without faith, no one can remain at the wedding. Well, the bottom line is the scripture does not tell us 100%. Sometimes that means we may not have to pick one. Sometimes it means that. Let's beware of being like Israel. Let's see that we make disciples and not mere converts. If I could just be as plain as I can be. Many will come to the wedding feast, and they will hear those words, depart from me, for I never knew you. Your life matters. I mean, are you like, are you like those who say, hey, thanks for the invitation, I'm going to go to my farm, I'm going to go to my business, or thanks for the invitation, but you're really making me mad, and if you don't get out of my face, I'm going to rip you to shreds. Isn't that what happened with the two groups? Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. He's the only Savior of sinners. The church is called to the task of mission and evangelism. Listen to me. The church is called. We have the joy and the privilege. We are called to the task of mission and evangelism. Isn't this just like what we call the Great Commission, which, by the way, is just a few chapters later. Jesus goes to the cross. He bears the wrath of God in the place of sinners. He rises from the dead. He gives this, what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 22, verse 10. Matthew 22, verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. How about verse 9? Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. I was not trying to make light earlier, but this is the picture that has been given by others. This is the picture that... I don't want you to go to the highways anymore. I don't want you to go the highways. I want you to go where the highway ends and where the gravel road begins, and I want you to bring, even gently compel these folks, compel these folks to come into my banquet. The hoity-toity in the city have refused. The hillbillies in the outskirts will gladly receive only by the grace of God. It's not because they're inherently more worthy. It's because God has not chosen, by and large, the well-to-do of this world, but he's chosen the foolish. The church is called to the task of mission and evangelism, which is just another way of saying the Great Commission. Verse 9, go therefore to the main roads. Do you see? As we grow in our understanding of the mercies of God, we can't help but preach the gospel in word and deed, and you really can't preach the gospel unless it involves words. God help us. God help us. My friends, hell is a real place. Hell is a real place. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You should not get saved merely out of a fear of hell, but hell is a real place. The king is real. His people will be ready for the wedding feast by his grace and for his glory. And with a wedding garment that we cannot say, I bought this at JCPenney with my own money. It's his gracious gift. Even the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us everywhere that it is appropriate to tremble at your word. We know, Lord, we know that as Christians, we do not have a craven fear. We do not tremble because we are just waiting to be slammed on the head. No, no. But Lord, help us to tremble before the word of Christ. We thank you for. Christ, who is the Lamb of God for our substitute. May we run to Christ. May we not be like Israel, but may we run. And may we say, how foolish I would be to refuse this invitation. And may we see that it has all been of grace. That you have spread the feast. You have invited us and you have drawn us. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Father, we praise you. Spirit, we thank you for drawing us in and to Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.